This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 money pit. Money Pit is presented by the Angie app and LL Flooring's Profiles Podcast. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, do you have a home? Do you want to improve your home? Do you want to reno it? Do you want to remodel it? Do you want to repair it? Do you want to decorate it? Well, you are in the right place because that's what we do. We love to help you do projects just like that. But you got to help yourself first. So if you've got a question, reach out to us at 888-MONEY-PIT or better yet, go to moneypit.com and click the blue microphone button, which you will find in the bottom right corner of every page. Uh, you'll be directed to our question page where you can record your question and send it right to us because we do want to help. We've got a great show planned for you today. Coming up, if there is one room that you want to be bright and cheery, it is definitely the kitchen. So we're going to share some tips on kitchen lighting that will keep that space looking bright even when it's dark outside. And also ahead, saving energy and going green are big goals for homeowners, which might explain why heat pumps are more popular than ever. We're going to share how exactly a heat pump works and where they work best. And you guys ready to take on some home improvement projects but feel that you just don't have the time? Not possible. We're going to highlight several. You can get done in 30 minutes or less. But first, what projects do you want to take on this weekend? You got a big one, you got a small one, whatever size, scope, scale of project it is that you've got in your mind, we can help you achieve it. So give us a call, reach out to Team Money Pit anytime. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974, or post your questions on moneypit.com by clicking the blue microphone button. So let's get to it, Leslie. Who's first? Adam in Wisconsin's on the line with a radon question. What's going on at your money pit? I did a radon test in my basement, adjusted uh, for getting a mitigation in place. What was the level, Adam, that came out of the test? It was 4.6. Okay, so it's just above the guideline because the guideline is 4.0. Okay, go ahead. So I was wondering before getting the mitigation system uh, installed by a professional, if there was anything that can be done to uh, help uh, mitigate it without, uh, you know, paying the... the the higher prices of of getting a professional to do it. Okay. Well, first of all, you are just over the guideline. One thing that you should know is that the radon levels are going to swing across the year depending on the season. You know, typically in the winter when the house is really sealed up tight as a drum, your levels are going to be seasonally high compared to the summer when we tend to let a lot more air into the house, which will push it down below the action guideline, which is 4.0 picocuries per liter of air. Now, in terms of a do-it-yourself sort of radon mitigation system, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to do because what happens when you do a mitigation system is you you set up a system that essentially pulls the gas off of the soil before it gets into the house there. Do you have a, a, a traditional basement 
kind of a house? What's your home look like? Yeah, it's a traditional basement. Um, it actually has a, a Palmer valve drain uh, that goes underneath the house. Um, so, I mean, one thing I looked at was a, a drainer drain that would uh, allow water that out would seal, the, the yeah. central drain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but keep the gas down. Right. Now, do you have a, uh, a French drain around the inside perimeter of the foundation wall where there's a gap between the basement floor and the wall? Yes, and I also have a French drain. So, I mean, what a mitigation company would do is they would seal that French drain up the bottom of it to kind of seal off the gas with a flowable urethane seal it. They would seal off the sump if that was accessible. Then they would install um, a vent pipe that goes into that slab and has a vent fan installed in it that draws the gas off from underneath the slab. So all of that is not really kind of a DIY. Yeah, you could seal the obvious places, but whether that's going to have a long-term effect is really hard to say because, you know, typically what the tester is also going to do is something called a communications test where they'll put one suction point where that hole is in the slab. They'll put one suction point in the slab. They'll put it under suction, under pressure, and then they'll go around to the other areas of the slab and see if they have any air that's kind of getting in there. And this way they can tell how much you know, suction they need to install or how many suction points they need to install to kind of make the system work. So while, yeah, I mean, if you had some basic areas that you could seal up, that might help a little bit, but it's really not a do-it-yourself project, Adam, for a whole bunch of reasons. And you know what? If you go to sell this house in the future and it comes out that you had a radon test done, or even if they do a test at that time, you know, do-it-yourself mitigation is just not going to cut it. You're going to have to have a system in that was professionally installed and regularly monitored. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I I appreciate the information. Like I mentioned, I was just kind of looking to see if there's anything I could do to try to help bring down that level. But um, sounds like I might have to go with the professionals with this. Yeah, and economically, like I said, you're just over the guidelines, so I wouldn't consider this an emergency repair, but it's something that you should get to when you're ready to, when you can afford it, when you have the time, the inclination, you know, over the next, um, you know, few months, that would be great, okay? Okay, all right, very good. Good luck with that project, Adam. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Laura in Connecticut's on the line with a painting question. How can we help you today? We had some plastic work done. And unfortunately, the gentleman used a rusty tool. How, what type of primer, what type of paint can we put over that? You know, I'm afraid that I don't know if it'll bleed through or what it'll do. So when you said that he used a rusty tool, are you seeing some areas of like a sort of reddish patina in the plaster itself? Or is it changing over time? What are you noticing? Rust. Just rust from the tool. So you're seeing it in the plaster, and of course now that's all cured and dried. Exactly, in the plaster itself. Yeah, that plaster will leach through a a traditional paint finish, so you definitely have to prime here, right, Leslie? Yeah, and I think, you know, your best bet is to use, I mean, if you can, like a bin or a zinzer, one of those primers, they tend to be oil-based, they're a little bit more heavy-duty, and those really do tend to cover up everything. So I think if you go ahead with a good coat of that as a primer, you'll end up with you know, the opportunity to seal all of that rust stain in. And then when you go put your top coat on, you shouldn't have a problem with that. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get sucked with allergens, too. 
Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Now we're going out to the great north in Alaska where Tim has a construction question. What can we do for you? So I'm looking to do some uh, construction on a, on a new uh, residence. And the traditional uh, housing is generally 2 by 6 or 2 by 8 construction. And certainly they've come out with uh, some more advanced materials, ICF block with uh, concrete and foam insulation. I'm wondering from a standpoint of cost differences, which would be better for a long-term home. So wood framing wood framing versus insulated concrete forms or ICF blocks. Um, I am a huge proponent of ICF construction. Uh, I think it's a brilliant technology. And, and for those who are not familiar with this, these are large foam blocks. They look like kind of like Lego blocks. And you stack up the wall out of these foam blocks, put a traditional footing and stack up the wall with these foam blocks. And then the it's all braced, and then the wall is filled with concrete. So you end up with a solid concrete wall that's reinforced that's surrounded by insulation on both sides of it. And, and what you find with this, Tim, is that the home is super insulated and actually much more storm resistant and much quieter. In fact, I've seen these homes require um, about 30 to 40% less heating and cooling capacity because they just perform so well. So I think when you look at it, yeah, you're going to have probably an increased cost of construction over wood framing, slightly increased, not hugely increased. But the long-term energy efficiency and and, uh, comfort savings on this is going to be very significant. So I would definitely consider insulated concrete form construction over wood framing if I had the opportunity. Thank you for that information. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Michelle in Pennsylvania is on the line with a question about a heat pump. What's going on at your money pit? Um, I have a pretty big house, lots of windows, and so I want to kind of section off parts of the house that I, I don't really live in. Problem is those parts of the house is the, the formal living, formal dining room, and that's where my thermostat is located. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so I feel like if I lower the thermostat, then it's going to kick on even harder. Yeah, Michelle, you know, there is a solution for that, and it comes in the form of a thermostat, a smart thermostat. And what I'm thinking of is a thermostat that's called an Ecobee. It's E-C-O-B-E-E. And what's different about the Ecobee smart thermostat, it has all the technology you'll see in other um, Wi-Fi thermostats, you know, like like uh, the fact that you can control it from your smartphone and, and knows when you're home, knows when you're away. But what Ecobee also has are wireless remote sensors. So you can put sensors in different parts of the room, different parts of the house, and then you could tell the heating system what the temperature should be in that room, and it should read that and, and determine whether it should go on or off. So in the rooms that you don't use that much, you could have a very cold temperature, and in the rooms that you do use, you could have a very warm temperature, and it would kind of um, read just that particular 
area and not the area where the original thermostat is is mounted. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So what's something like that going to run? Yeah, it's not terribly expensive and the uh the installation is is sort of DIY. You know, I think they're probably a couple hundred bucks, but go to ecob.com e c o b e e and you can shop online or you can find it on Amazon. I, you know, I think it's probably the answer uh, to your particular situation because heat pumps are expensive to run. Uh, and so you want to make sure that you're using the thermostat properly. Very good. Thank you. Scott and George is on the line with a question about an attic fan. How can we help you today? Well, I have a, uh, a house that has a ridge vent in it. And the temperature in the attic gets to be somewhere around 115 to 120 degrees during the summer, which and it gets pretty warm. So uh, to help uh, with some of the, I guess, the insulation and uh, I guess some of the, the heating, uh, the heat up there in the attic, I want to put in maybe a attic ventilator to help assist with the removal of some of that heat, you know, more airflow up there. But my concern is if I do that with a ridge vent, am I going to be pulling air from the outside in through the ridge vent into the attic only to be evacuated again by the power ventilator? And generally you're going to, I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. And then you'll be also pulling, you know, whatever conditioned air from whatever leaks or spaces you have within the house into the attic space and then back out. So you're kind of not achieving what you want to achieve there. However, you've got the ridge vent. Do you have soffit vents in play at your house? Soffit. Yes, I do. I do have soffits. Yes. And they're not blocked by any insulation or? No, I, I've checked. I, I've checked most of that. And some of the, some of the areas um, I had to push the insulation down just to be sure there was a clear path. So I would say overall, probably uh, maybe 90, 95 percent of it is uh, unobstructed. It sounds like you're doing the right things. How, when was your house built, Scott? How old is it? The house is about 10 years old. Now, it sits out and there's no trees, there's no shade or anything in the area. And of course, South Georgia in the summers, we get, you know, 100, 110 degrees. So. Because the thing is, even though it's getting hot in that attic space, I mean, it is at ambient temperature. So that's kind of, you're not going to get it much cooler than that. If you've got unobstructed soffit vents, you've got good soffit ventilation on both sides of the house, you have a really good ridge vent. Now, sometimes I see a ridge vents that are not very open they're like especially the kind that i see that are corrugated looking like they don't let enough air out so i mean it might be worth looking at the type of ridge vent that you have uh the certain teed ridge vents the, the company's called air vent or the brand's called air vent i think it's airvent.com you'll see that they have these metal ridge vents that have like a a folded edge on one side of it that actually depressurizes the ridge and makes it more efficient in terms of pulling air out of it so you may not be getting as much air out of that ridge vent as you would like to. Um, do you have gable vents on the end walls as well? Yes, actually, I do. So that, if the ridge vent and the soffit vent are set up correctly, you actually don't need those gable vents. They actually can tend to make that structure inefficient because it kind of messes with the airflow. So I would look at the ridge vent that I have and make sure I'm getting plenty, plenty of, of air that is exhausting out of that. But as Leslie said, putting an attic fan next to that is going to be like a dog chasing its tail. You know, you're not really going to be very efficient. And it could pull up air conditioned air from your house and actually raise the cooling bill. Okay. That, that was my concern. I, I was just kind of thinking about that in my head and going, gee whiz, would that ever happen? But, um, okay. Cause I've seen some houses around here that look like, yeah, they have a, they have an attic ventilator, but then they also looks like maybe at least part of the roof or a section of the roof has a ridge vent. So, yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of people that just do that cause they don't know what else to do. But, but the problem with attic fans is that 
You know, your house has all types of little gaps in it that connect the attic to the inside. Think about, you know, the framed wall and the outlet, for example. I mean, that's an opening, right? And if your attic is depressurized, it's going to want to suck air up from anywhere it can find. And that's going to include the conditioned air, that expensive, comfortable conditioned air that's inside your house. That's why passive ventilation is always a better option. Okay. Okay. So probably a certainty. Uh, would be a good brand or a good good type of ridge vent. Yeah, take a look at airvent.com and look at the one that's called a multi-pitch filter vent. It's a metal vent, ridge vent that sits on top of your roof and it has an airfoil to the side of it. And I know that that airfoil speeds up the depressurization and makes it much more effective. Okay, so a, a multi-vent, okay. It's called a multi-pitch filter vent and it's in the ridge vent section. It's okay, I'll do that. Good. I appreciate the help. Thank you. Well, if your kitchen feels dark and dreary, it may be that you don't have the right kind or even the right type of lighting. Now, for kitchens, you need three types of lighting, ambient, task, and accent. Now, ambient lighting is the overall light in the room, and that's generally provided by those larger fixtures and, of course, the natural light if you've got some windows. Now, task lighting, on the other hand, is focused and calibrated to specific work areas like countertops. And accent lighting does just that. It accents and highlights the architectural details or objects within your redesigned space, like kitchen lighting that points up from the top of your cabinets or rope lighting lining the undersides, which incidentally is a very easy do-it-yourself project. Yeah, and you know, there's no shortage of fixture styles and sizes for you to choose from for each of these lighting types. And it's definitely okay to mix and match those fixture styles. You know, you can put a chandelier over the dining area and then install some interesting pendants in another spot for the task lighting. Yeah, and you can even shed additional light on the countertops with using those little halogen puck lights or LED puck lights that go underneath the cabinet. So where there's a will, there's a way. It's a room that we probably spend almost as much time in as any other room, probably even more in some cases. So why not have it bright and cheery no matter what the daylight situation is outside? Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. 
That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Dean in Kansas, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Okay, we've just purchased a home, and in that home we've got a traditional gas water heater. Okay. And my wife loves to take baths every night. She's one of those really hot baths type person. <laughs> okay, good for her. Just wanted to kind of know what the best setting for the water heater was. We've been told a couple different things. Mm-hmm. Usually we turn it all the way up and Ooh, that's um, really hot. We've been told some different things. So Yeah. Well, I mean is it just you and your wife or do you have kids too? We do have kids as well. Yeah, you you want to be careful with the children especially. You don't want the water to be any hotter than about hundred and ten to hundred and twenty degrees. And if you turn it all the way up it could get close to one sixty and that's really dangerous. So I mean if you have a forty gallon water heater and you're taking a, a, a big bath every night, I think you're gonna have to adjust your schedules around that because it's gonna use a significant amount of it. But it also has a pretty fast recovery. If you opt at some point in the future, if you're there in the house for a number of years and you want to get a water heater that's never going to run in hot water, you should opt for a tankless water heater. They're a little bit more expensive than a tank water heater, but they basically provide you an endless supply um, of hot water. So I think those are your options, Dean. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Carolyn Delaware needs some help with some insulation recommendations. What's going on? We built about two years ago a pole building that we are insulating one-third of that we are making into living space for a shop. Okay. And the whole pole building was wrapped in double bubble, including the, the ceiling. So now that we're getting ready to enclose or encapsulate or enclose this area, it's 20 by 30 by 14 we need to know what type of insulation you would recommend over the double bubble. Now, when you say double bubble, I'm not actually familiar with that term. It is like um, bubble wrap. Right. And it's closed cell. So it's just a roll that they, it's a rolled product that they put out, like a a bubble wrap. Oh, okay. I think I've seen, I think I've seen this. It's like a foil face product. It's not going to have very much R value at all. No, so it's obviously no it's obviously not going to hold much heat in. I think your best option option here for insulating that space is spray foam insulation. Spray foam insulation can uh, seal all of the gaps that will be in that shell. Uh, you don't need as much of it in terms of, of thickness, and it does a very good job of not only insulating but sealing out the drafts. So I would highly recommend spray foam over a fiberglass bat insulation for this particular space. Okay, and and uh, my husband's sitting here. You're on speakerphone. Would you pref- would you recommend open or closed cell? So closed cell is going to be better for moist locations. If you're concerned about moisture, concerned about moisture, you would use the you would use the closed cell. But open cell does a just excellent a, a very good job as well. I actually have both in my house in my crawl space. I have closed cell for the box joists, and in the walls and the in the uh, roof drafters, I have open cell. Okay, and then what would you do with the ceiling? Um, with the bubble wrap that's there. There's a space. Between the ceiling and the um, roof, what would you recommend putting in that 
space. So you have two options. If you want, you could um, insulate the underside of the roof rafters and consider that uh, attic space to be part of the conditioned space, part of the heated space. I mean, not the heated space, but it would insulate there. Or you could put the spray foam insulation across the ceiling and make the attic completely unconditioned. If you uh, if you make it a conditioned space, if you insulate underneath the roof rafters, you know, you'll find that you know if you need it for storage, it's not going to have the same kind of temperature extremes that you would have in in, uh, in an attic that was just more traditional and it was just you know the, whatever temperature was outside, whether it was 110 degrees in the summer, you know, 10 degrees in the winter, that's the temperature that attic's going to be. So it's just kind of your personal preference. But wherever you decide to make that barrier, I'd make it with spray foam. I uh, take a look at isonine. I-C-Y-N-E-N-E, isonine insulation. What would you recommend as far as the heating air conditioning system? We have uh, we have two areas. We have the wide open space, and then we have a bathroom space that will be in that area. Do you have gas, natural gas available? Uh, yeah, we do. We have propane. You have propane? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... I think propane is going to be probably be your best option. I'd prefer my order of preference on fuels would be natural gas followed probably by oil and then propane almost about the same, but you know, propane is probably okay with an efficient furnace. Um, and then electric will be last. That would just cost you a boatload of money. Um, but I think uh, probably a propane gas furnace that's a high-efficiency furnace. In the open space, you're going to use a space here that's like one of those big furnaces that hangs up sort of in the air and warms that whole space in the bathroom, that smaller area. Um, if that could be connected to the same heating system that's heating that room, is this is this bathroom separate from the living space you're talking about or is it part of it? Because you're going to need heat throughout that whole living space, aren't you? Right. We'll need heat throughout the whole living space. The bathroom will be closed off as a bathroom so that... I think probably you're probably going to end up putting a furnace up in that attic. So you've got some room up there for it, but put a gas furnace up there and you can use that for heating and air conditioning. Okay. What do you think about the split units? The split ductless units? Uh-huh. They run beautifully, though, but they'll be expensive. I think you've answered our questions. Thank you All very right, much. All right, Jesse. Well, well, good luck to you and your husband with that project and uh, send us pictures when you're done. I sure will. Thank you. Well, saving energy and going green are big goals for homeowners, which definitely explains why we're seeing a rise in heat pumps. They're definitely more popular than ever. But is a heat pump always the best way to both heat and cool your home? Well, it's a good question. So first, let's look at how heat pumps differ than heating systems that most of us use. I mean, to put it simply, traditional heating systems use fuel to generate heat. Heat pumps, on the other hand, bring in existing heat. Using a small amount of energy, what they do is they pull heat out of what's called the heat source, like air or ground, to a heat space like your house. Now, the process can be reversed to cool spaces, too. Its cooling mechanism works very similar to air conditioners, but its heating mechanism is completely different. Yeah, now, one of the biggest advantages of this is the fact that you don't need to install separate systems to heat and cool your home. And because they're transferring heat rather than burning fuel to create it, heat pumps are more efficient than a gas furnace. But, Tom, if you just do a quick online search, though, you're going to find out that heat pumps also have some disadvantages, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, one really common complaint is that they sort of, quote-unquote, blow cold air. It's not really true. But they're not designed to put out warm air at the same temperature as what you might be used to if you have a gas furnace, for example. The air is cooler, but it's plenty warm enough to keep your home heated and very, very efficient. But sometimes when you put your hand in front of it or if you feel a draft on your face, 
because we have moisture on our skin, as that water sort of evaporates off of us, it chills us. And even though that air is kind of warmer, it's definitely warmer than ambient. Sometimes it will give you that false feeling of a draft that can make people uncomfortable. Now, heat pumps are also ideal for climates that have moderate temperatures. So once outdoor temperatures, though, are going to dip below 25 or 30 degrees, there's not much heat left to extract, and as backup heaters become necessary, the cost goes up. Because basically what a heat pump does is it only maintains a difference in temperature between your thermostat and what it's set at by about 3 degrees. And so let's say you have a temperature set to 72. If it drops to 69, the heat pump's on. If it drops to 68, the heat pump says, hey, I can't keep up, and it brings on electric backup heat, which is super expensive to run. Now, I think a lot of people hear about the benefits and the efficiency of a heat pump, and they're interested then in retrofitting their homes with this heat pump technology, but is it possible to retrofit? Well, it's not practical, especially with a central system, because retrofitting a space usually calls for what's called a mini split heat pump. So you're not really uh, removing and replacing your existing furnace, you're installing uh, a separate sort of zone system where you have a separate heat pump, a, a mini split, which is a little compressor outside, and then an air handler that's mounted to an inside wall. Uh, and you put, you know, a number of those in each floor of the house. They're good for retrofitting because their location outside the home is flexible, but they can be expensive and you need more of them to heat the whole house. So it's not as efficient as an, an originally installed central system in a very well-insulated house in a moderate climate. If you're outside of those parameters, you're always going to be best with fossil fuel if it's available. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Brad in Virginia, you're up next. How can we help you? It's a water situation in my house. Okay. In one bathroom, you got cold and hot. You go to the kitchen, you got hot and barely is uh, running cold. And in the last bathroom, it's the same way. Okay. So you have uh, a good stream of hot and cold water in the one bathroom, but you don't have it in the other two? Right. So to me, that sounds like it's a valve problem because the first thing you want to ask yourself is whether or not you have enough water pressure coming to the house. And if you've got it in one bathroom, then you certainly do. You just don't have it in these other two, and we've got to figure out why that is. It could be a partially obstructed valve. It might look like it's open, but it's partially closed. I mean, it could be a clogged aerator, but that would affect both, both hot and cold equally. You could easily check that, by the way, just by unscrewing the aerator. That's a little tip of the faucet where the water comes out. Just make sure you remember how you took it apart because it goes back yeah, to it's the like, opposite it's way. It's kind of like Rubik's Cubes and let's try to get it back together again. Um, but the fact that you have water that's the correct pressure in one bathroom means it's not a water pressure problem. It's definitely going to be in the plumbing or in, in, and in the valves or the fixtures or faucets themselves, which is another thing, by the way. The, the plumbing uh, faucet itself could be a problem. 
The other thing that you could do is you could disconnect the plumbing, you know, at the valve and just hook up some hose lines to it there and just see how much water pressure comes out. See if you can sort of narrow down what the restriction is. You know, is it the faucet? Is it the valve? Where exactly is it being uh, restricted? Is it before it gets to that fixture or faucet? Because you do have the water pressure. You've proven that. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, if you keep telling your spouse or your significant other that you just don't have time to do anything around the house, we are calling your bluff. If you've got 30 minutes, even less, there are a lot of improvements that you can make to your home. That's right. You know, for example, that window that hasn't opened since maybe Seinfeld was on prime time? Well, it's probably <laughs> because it's painted shut. So here's the solution. Just grab a putty knife and break the paint seal. If it still won't budge, you can put a block of wood on top of the lower sash window and tap the wood down with a hammer. That will break that paint seal loose and it'll be operational once again. Now, here's another one. Exercise. You know it's good for you, but it turns out that exercise is also good for your circuit breakers. About every six months, you want to turn each breaker off and then back on again. Then every month, push the test button on the GFCI to make sure that it stays flexible and strong, just like you do after a good workout. That's right. And check for water leaks in less than 30 minutes. Just turn off all running water and look at your water meter. If it's moving... You've got a leak somewhere. You can also check your fixtures and faucets for leaks. Just run water in the sink to the overflow mark and let that water run down and look underneath for leaks. And if you want to check out a shower pan, what you could do is put a washcloth across the drain, fill it up with two or three inches of water, and then quickly go downstairs and look for any leaks coming through the ceiling. I used to do that as a home inspector, and I learned very early on in my career to not let it sit too long because typically, especially if you have a tile shower pan, if it's going to leak, it's going to leak quick. And if that happens, you got a big repair, but you're better off to find it sooner than later when it rots out the floor. Joan wrote in saying, Our house was built in 1989 in northwest Georgia. We bought it in 2022 from a builder who redid it as a flip. It was about a year before I realized that every room in the house had painted over wallpaper in it. How do I strip the wallpaper? Is there a good way to get already painted paper off that isn't porous to soak up the steam or a remover? Is a paper tiger enough? This sounds like a disaster. Also, what a smooth, wonderful wallpapering job that you did not notice it was there. (laughs) Well, we don't know how many coats of paint on it. Uh, That's very true. You know, look, it's really hard to get wallpaper up when, well, it's hard initially get wallpaper off the walls but when you have layers of paint on it it's not going to soak in any of the steam or even the wallpaper removers that well and the paper tiger that's a tool that scores the paper puts little holes in it and yeah it'll help but i just think you're looking at an awful lot of work so this is going to be like a testing kind of a thing where you actually try it out in some areas and see if you can come up with a technique that works if you figure out what works it'll probably work throughout the entire house I do think um, I would go right to steam. I would get a paper tiger. I would go right to renting a steam wallpaper remover. Because sometimes when you have it painted over, um, it may tend to adhere more to the paint than it does to the glue underneath the paper. And you may be able to get it off. If you are fortunate enough, uh, Joan, to get it to to strip away, what you're going to want to do is clean those walls really well and then prime them. And I would definitely use a solvent-based primer so everything is sealed in nice and tight and flat. And then always use a good quality flat wall paint because if you use anything with a sheen, you'll see all the little defects that no doubt those walls will have as a result of all the work 
it takes to get rid of that wallpaper. So you got a job in front of you, but it is not impossible. I would try it out in a, a small area first. Maybe you can find a closet or small wall. See if you can come up with a system that works. But I suspect you're going to need to rent a wallpaper steamer and to score that wall with the wallpaper tiger tool. All right, next up, Robert wrote in saying, I live in northern Michigan, and I want to know if it's a good idea to install a heat pump to supplement electric baseboard heat. It's like you knew what the show was about this whole hour. Wow. Uh, yeah, not such a good idea. It's kind of funny because a heat pump is does include electric heat within it. As I was explaining earlier, uh, Robert, when the heat uh, pump basically uh, exceeds its capacity, when it can't keep up with what the temperature, it actually brings on a backup electric system. So not a really good thing to supplement electric baseboard heat. Like you're just like trading off one expensive system to uh, another. If you've got electric baseboard heat, I would suggest you first determine whether or not gas or even oil is available to you as an option. I would much prefer you install a hot water baseboard radiator system instead of trying to kind of mess around with different heat pumps. If you've got a cold room or two, you know, you could always go with a mini split ductless heat pump. But, again, those are expensive, and uh, it just might not do the job you're looking for. If you can change out the fossil fuel, it's always a better way to go. All right, Robert, I hope you're staying warm in that northern Michigan winter chill. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, if we didn't get to your question today, we apologize, but you can always reach us at one eight 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 Money Pit any time of the day or night. And remember, if you've got a question, another way to get in touch with us is to post it at moneypit.com by clicking the blue microphone button. There's a little record feature there. You can just talk to us, tell us what's going on, and we'll get back to you the next time we produce the show. Till then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details